lead this community, and um, thank you for honoring us. Uh, we have started, I uh, think we're in our third week now, a new series called Inward Disciplines, and we're kind of just, I guess the overarching um, idea of this series is that doing life for God is best doing life with God, and, and sometimes doing life with God takes discipline, right? And so um, we've been kind of going over certain disciplines that we see that the Bible highlights that we should be practicing regularly as Christians. And so um, this is my lovely wife. For those who are new here, she's going to be bringing the word. Um, for those uh, who have not heard her, you're in for a treat um, uh, and, and you get ready to be blessed because it's going to be awesome. But before we get into the word, can we pray for her and just pray for ourselves that God would open our hearts in our ears to the scripture this morning. Father, I thank you uh, for this time. I, I thank you for the gift of God, Lord, you've placed in our midst um, in Bethany. And Lord, um, we just look forward to hearing your word this morning. And so God, I pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see, and open our hearts to feel the power of scripture this morning, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Thank you. Oh, could you do something about this? Can that be something different? Thank you. I actually am very um, limited <laughs> to my ability to operate things like this, so I generally need my husband. It was a screen that I couldn't close. Um, as Daryl said, we actually started three weeks ago a series on the inward disciplines. And so I'm actually going to be kind of picking up where he left off. He kind of went through scripturally the different passages of scripture that we see um, about the wisdom of disciplining ourselves, that we are to run as um, athletes, that we might finish the race that is set before us. Um, and so before we start today, um, we're going to, I'm just going to give you kind of the format that we're going to follow, is we're going to talk about why inward disciplines, like why it's important. Um, and then we're going to kind of finish with talking a, about a specific inward discipline, which is fasting, which is not the most popular inward discipline now, is it? Um, but before we even discuss that, I want to identify that we basically have three groups of people in the room, because when we talk about something like disciplines, and this is actually why we're going to define what are disciplines, because we all have a very different perspective and lens that we see inward, specifically spiritual disciplines through. Um, there's many of us that um, can appreciate and respect disciplines when it comes to athletics or disciplines when it comes to academics or disciplines when it comes to nutrition or things like that. But then when it comes to spiritual disciplines, it's like a whole nother category. And the reason that it's a whole nother category is that we basically have one sector of the body of Christ that sees and views discipline as somehow being legalistic. So there's those of us that write off, uh, off disciplines completely as um, we are justified by faith and by faith alone. So the theology of the justification by faith is a good theology. It's not a bad theology. But when taken to an extreme and not brought into balance of understanding that we are also called to good works and to bear fruit, the problem is the, the theology of the justification by faith alone can bring us into a place, and I'm going to say this, it can produce an apathetic, lackadaisical, and immature people. So we have a group of people that maybe despise the posture of discipline, that we see it as somehow it's workspace. And can I just be really real with you for a moment? I've tried to go down that path because if any of you guys know my story, you may not know him, but a very dear friend, when I say dear friend, Daryl knows, aside from public ministry things, he texts us on a monthly, weekly basis. We're in communication. He's a father to us, but we, we know his life closely, is Lou Engel. And if you know anything about Lou Engel, you know he is constantly on a 40-day fast. He is constantly calling for and prayer initiatives, and he is the most, and I, when I say he's the most extreme, it's not just in the public lens. Just texted this last week about something he's praying and fasting for in the midst of a very um, unexpected move in the midst of other chaotic things in his life. And I thought, if anybody has an excuse not to fast right now, it would be him. But instead, he's going hard after it. 
So when I say this to you, because of being born and raised in a movement, and I will say of extreme prayer and fasting, I went through a season of my life after the birth of my child of thinking, you know what, I'm not sure if exerting myself in that way or somehow feeling as though my actions will produce a certain outcome is healthy. So I decided to go into more of a posture of justification by faith alone and not by my works. And I'm going to tell you where it led me. It led me to a very apathetic, half-hearted, lazy existence. Not some place that I want to be. So what I'm going to say is we as a community need to define what are spiritual, what are spiritual disciplines, why do we practice them, and what is the fruit of them. There's a second group of people. that. So we have the group that will dis, disregard spiritual discipline and somehow it works and see it negatively. We have a group that will be affectionate towards disciplines. Like, we like to read the Desert Fathers. I also fell in this category for a period of time. We like to read the mystics. We like to read about silence and solitude. We like to talk about and have mental ascension to the disciplines of our faith, but yet we don't practice them. So we have a a sentiment about it. We can even quote them amazingly, But yet, we are not a living reality of those things. That's another entirely different group of people. And then you have the third group of people that understand the wisdom of the disciplines that have not perfected them, but they're ever reaching towards them. People that desire growth and maturity. So all of us, you can assess for yourself which category you fall into today. But this is what I'm going to say to you first and foremost. When it, I, I almost want for a moment for you to exchange the word discipline for cultivate. Can you do that for me for a second? Because if you hate the word discipline, if you think it's a legalistic word and it's based on works and you're in that category, if you can hear the word cultivate. Can you do that with me for a moment? Because when we study the word of God, what we come to see is that the issue is, the question is, what are we cultivating? And can I say this to you this morning? There is nothing that you can find of of beauty and of worth that does not come without, and let's say, discipline or cultivating it, okay? We we garden, not, not because we thought we wanted to be gardeners, but because we bought a property that has beautiful perennial gardens. So therefore, we've become gardeners. Can I say this to you? The gardens are beautiful, but they are only beautiful because of the amount of work that goes into weeding and pruning. And some of my neighbors come by and say, I have the same bush. Why doesn't mine look like that? And then I go through the the mechanics of what Daryl does every fall to cut it to its root, and then it comes back. And so there's this issue of pruning. And, you know, it's, it's a discipline. We didn't just neglect the beautiful tree. He went out there and he actually, he pruned the tree. He had to weed and killed weeds around the tree. So oftentimes, I'm going to say it to you this way. It's the same way with spiritual disciplines. We like to walk by a beautiful garden and think, oh, that just sprung up there. That is lovely. No, 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 no. Somebody put in the work and the labor to cultivate that garden. It, it's the same. There is nothing in your life that, that, that grows without attention. Your relationships that you neglect, they will not grow. You wonder why some of your relationships are stank? Because you don't cultivate them. There's this issue of, and I'm going to say the word of God, and we're going to look at scripture, it's sowing and reaping. It's a really, really basic principle, but somehow in charismatic circles, we think we can jump over that principle. We, we want to reap in places where we have not sown. And I want to challenge you this morning on the issue of perspective. Oftentimes when we're not reaping a particular result or a particular fruit in our life, we want to blame it on a million different reasons and a million different circumstances and people, instead of beginning to ask the question, how is it that I am sowing, and is there a way that I need to sow differently to reap a different fruit in that area? It's a place of personal responsibility. So let's just think about, with my garden, let's talk about other things that require cultivation. How about your bank account? There is 
there's nobody that has great wealth that just said, I just woke up and it was just there. It just, it like happened. It was like something mysterious and no, it required an element of attention and cultivation and let's use the word now, discipline. They literally had to take their finances and say, I'm going to give this portion, I'm going to save this portion, and this is what is allotted for my spending. Those of us that are broke, it's because we have not been disciplined in our finances to rightly distribute where our wealth goes. It's not accidental. I understand there's other circumstances that sometimes cause poverty, but what I'm saying is wealth is not accidental. Even if you inherit wealth, this will preach when it comes to the gospel. Even if you inherit wealth, if you do not steward it property, it will be properly, it will be squandered. So even with the inheritance of wealth, which is what we've received from Jesus, if we do not rightly discipline ourselves, that wealth will be squandered. So this is what I'm going to say to you this morning. Every area of our life, if you see somebody that has great abs... Those did not happen accidentally. <laughs> Something called discipline. No, I, I, I would just venture to say to you, growth is a result of cultivating something. Even, I'm going to say this, let's be honest, our natural body, it, yes, it grows just kind of without much help. But if it's lacking the proper nutrition, we see what malnutrition does. It causes somebody to be undergrown and underdeveloped. Can I say this to you this morning? That's what most of us look like spiritually. We're not standing in our full stature in Christ because we think somehow accidentally I will just become a mature Christian. You are not going to wake up 30 years from now a mature Christian just because you have 30 years under your belt calling yourself a Christian. You will only wake up 30 years from now as a mature Christian by implementing the disciplines of your faith. And those disciplines are not bondage. Those disciplines are not something that causes you to limit freedom. Those disciplines are what give you freedom and give you life so that you can grow in health and in maturity. So can I say this to you this morning? This morning, if you are lacking spiritual maturity, it's because you're lacking spiritual disciplines. If you will begin to apply spiritual disciplines in your life, you will see a place of growth and health and maturity that takes place. So do we understand that growth is not accidental? That when we see things of beauty in other people's lives, it's something that has been cultivated. You know, Daryl, I know for the last two weeks has shared some great stories about our son's football career. <laughs> um, but you know what's interesting? What he didn't share is this has been a very peculiar season for my son, whereas he has always been the top of his game. Every league he goes into, he is always kind of the star player. He has gone into a league that it's him and about maybe two other star players. But I'm going to back the bus up a little further. He has a coach that is very, very different from us. And when I say different, we are big on words of affirmation. Daryl coaches, even when the player does it wrong, it's good effort. Wow, that stunk, but good effort, good effort. That's all you'll hear. We've had the opposite experience. Even though Abram is a phenomenal player, and you can hear he calls his name when he needs a touchdown for his team because they're down. Temple, get on the field, I need your hands. Abram, I watched him for, for one game. This was a couple games ago. As he ran a route, the coach literally verbally said out loud, what's wrong with you? You ran the wrong route. Get off the field. And Abram came off the field, which he was devastated because he wants to excel and he wants to please people and he wants to do his best. But he wasn't just devastated because of the way the coach dealt with him. He literally said, mom, I ran the right route. I don't know what he's looking for. Can I say something to you? We could have said to our son, this coach is kind of mean. He's really aggressive. He's very, he's got some temperament things that don't feel awesome. Don't feel good. Not to We're not being built up in this league. We're being slightly torn down. <laughs> but can I tell you something? I said to Abram, I said, guess what? Not everybody in life is going to treat you kindly. 
if you want, you can quit this league because the guy's a jerk. <laughs> or you can stick with it and you can grow as a player because he, he clearly knows what he's doing with the game of football. Guess what? Abram has decided to stick with it. Not only did he stick with it, but I'm going to say something to you. I sat and I watched it practice last week. And as I was watching, his skill is not accidental. He may have a bent towards athleticism, but as the coach is literally giving them a drill to do and to execute, Abram is listening intently. He's obsessed with the details of the drill while the other kids are chatterboxing and high-fiving and distracted and confused. Then when the coach calls the drill and it's time to go, literally Abram executes it to a T. When the coach says, butt down, back up, like, I mean, that kid's hustling it backwards, not tripping over cones, pivoting, running, and I'm watching every other kid, and I'm sitting here saying, this is the fruit of discipline. He practiced these, these drills at home. There's nothing accidental about this. But can I say something to you? In this context, discipline has not felt good to him because it's coming through a source that has not made him feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's even come through a source where there's been potential offense and hurt. He's been hurt by this coach in some of the ways he's dealt with him. To give you a good picture, one of the other players, because they didn't, weren't aggressive enough in a play, he looked at the kid, he said, you're too soft, go to the sidelines. <laughs> I thought, oh my, oh my. But you know what he's learned? He's learned resilience. So yesterday we watched him, not only did he score a touchdown and have some phenomenal plays, he walked away, and you know what he said? He said, I didn't understand my coach in the beginning, but I get him now, and now his manner does not bother me. Can I say something to you? As a 10-year-old, <laughs> I know some of our, us adults need that, don't we? <laughs> Being able to see past some of our preferences. But I say that to see, I'm, I'm watching it even in the life of a 10-year-old that this is an issue of what is being cultivated is what we will grow and mature in. So let's just define a couple things. Number one, um, discipline, what it is. It's the outworking of our salvation. When we practice disciplines, our salvation is not based in those disciplines. What it is not, we are not earning our salvation through disciplines. What it is is we have already, salvation is a free gift so you need to drop the lens that somehow by reading my Bible or praying more or by fasting that you're somehow earning something. No, 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 no. You cannot earn salvation. But guess what? You can grow deeper in the knowledge of Christ. And there is a vast world that has been made available to you in the knowledge of Christ. And you can begin a journey of adventuring and exploration of the word of God. That is an invitation to you. So it's not an obligation and it's not something that you're earning. What it is, is a tool in the process of sanctification. See, the disciplines are not your righteousness. All it is, is a tool in the process so that we can grow in sanctification and grow in righteousness. It's a privilege that's been given to us. It's, a, it's almost like it's a, a secret ingredient, although it's not a secret. It's, all, it's available for all. Inward disciplines is not our righteousness, rather the sowing of seed that produces Christ-likeness. And this is what I want us to see. Our spiritual disciplines are the sowing of a seed. And that sowing of the seed, when we sow that seed, the fruit of that is Christ-likeness, that we might become more like him. You guys are all familiar with James 1.22. Let's actually just turn there really quickly. James 1, 22 through 25. And be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his nat natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. 
He who looks into the perfect law of liberty, do you hear that word, the perfect law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The wisdom of being a doer of the word. Now I want you to turn to Galatians 6 and verse 7. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows of his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows of the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. But for in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So here's this passage of scripture that's speaking about whatever we sow to is what we will reap. And so if we want to be people that reap a life in God and a life in the spirit, we have to be people that sow to the spirit. And that's what we're going to look at today is how is it that we sow to the spirit. If you guys turn to Matthew chapter 13 verse 19. So we're going to pick up in verse 19 for time's sake, but basically in verse 19 is where Jesus is giving an explanation. He had given a parable, and they didn't quite understand what his parable meant, and so this is where Jesus is giving them the understanding of what this parable meant. In verse 19 it says, and when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he who has no root in himself but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Verse 22. Now he who receives seed amongst the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Verse 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground, can you say good ground? Is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some, here we go, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. So do we understand in this passage of scripture, if we are what he's speaking of in this parable of people that can potentially produce fruit, and it's speaking of the wayside, it's speaking of the stony places, he's not saying... Well, you're someone by the wayside, and when seed falls on you, you don't produce fruit. And you're someone that has stony ground. (laughs) It's not predetermined the soil of where the seed is. He's basically saying to us, when the seed falls upon good ground, it's able to take root. And so there's a place where that seed is able to be planted and take root and cultivated. Guess what? You get to determine the soil of your heart. It's not accidental. You get to determine if the seed of God's word falls upon your heart and is able to take root. And guess how that is determined? It's determined by what you cultivate in your life. It's determined by the atmosphere that you create for yourself inwardly, that when you hear the word of God, is it a word that is then applied? Is it a word that it is then held onto that we might endure? Because we heard the language that some receive the word and they only endure for a season. But guess what? It is not predetermined for you whether you're stony ground or uh, on the wayside or whether you're good soil. Guess what? Every single one of us can be good soil. 
Guess what? Every single one of us can be people that when the word of God falls upon our heart, it takes root. And guess what? You are called to bear fruit. John 15 says, it is by this that the Father is glorified, that you might bear fruit. This is how he's glorified. But let me say something to you. You will only bear fruit if you are cultivating the soil of your heart, that there is a place for his presence to dwell, that there is a place that his word takes root. And guess what? It's just like we read in James, that you don't hear the word and then you quickly go about and forget the word, but you hear the word, you meditate on the word, you read the word, you pray the word, you study the word. There's a place that we grow in the reality of prayer and fasting that we cannot grow outside of that place. Discipline is a gift to us. And I understand that for much of our culture, we like to think, like I said, the justification by faith alone, that there's no works required of us. But I think we've seen through the the word of God today, there is a place of responsibility on if and how we grow in maturity. See, the beautiful thing about Abram's team, all the kids get to be on the team. even the ones that aren't skillful, still on the team, just a little bit of an ineffective player. (laughs) But then you have team members who are disciplining themselves. You have team members that are giving intentionality to cultivate a skill that becomes skillful because of the discipline and the posture of their heart. And so this is what we find in this passage of scripture of Matthew 13. Guess what? You are called to bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. I tend to believe, this is debatable, but even when it says some 30, some 60, and 100 fold, I believe that even the yield of fruitfulness is up to us. Meaning my fruitfulness may not look like that of Luengel. It may not. But for the gifts, the talents, the ability, and the grace that God has given to Bethany Temple, I might be functioning in a hundredfold capacity. But can I say something to you? As individuals, we should all come to the place of not being content with 30-fold fruitfulness in our life. But we should have a cry in our heart of saying, I want to produce a hundredfold fruitfulness. All that you have destined, all that you have ordained, all of the capacity that you've given me grace for. That is what I want to produce. So we see in um, Matthew 13, and then if we, actually, let's do this for sake of time. Um, We're just going to do a quick overview of four basic, and when I say four basic, hear me, every writer defines these differently. I mean, some some writers come up with multiple, like, and more inward disciplines. Um, if you study, like, Madame Guyon, she doesn't actually use this language that I'm going to share with you. But when I was 18 years old, I was introduced to the celebration of different discipline by Richard Foster. And so he breaks it down very simply. And there are a lot of writers that will kind of reference back to his writings and kind of how he defined it. Um, <clears throat> So basically, first and foremost is meditation. Secondly, which for those of you that may be just a little defining of it, meditation in in its simplest form would be listening. Sitting to listen and reflect and waiting upon God. Some of us may be very comfortable with Bible reading, but not very comfortable with waiting on God. There's something, this is probably the most passive of the disciplines, but there is something about ceasing from activity and positioning ourselves to be still before God. You know, one of the ways that we can grow in meditation is if we are people that are memorizing the word, when we are sitting and meditating and waiting upon God and reflecting upon his word, there's a place that 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 word that we've memorized is almost something that we can just be meditating upon. Instead of actively studying or actively reading, there's a place of lingering in God's presence and just meditating upon his word. Two is prayer. Prayer can be defined a million ways, (laughs) Um, but it's growing in communion with God, growing in conversation with God, of us speaking to God and him speaking back to us. 
Um, fasting. Fasting, in summary, is a voluntary denial of ordinary pleasures for seeking God in an intensified way. That's kind of a little Lou Engel language intensified way, a little Mike Bickle language, a little maybe A.W. Tozer. <laughs> it's a, a summary of voluntary denial of ordinary pleasures, which are totally legitimate pleasures, but for the purpose of seeking God in an intensified way. And fasting is what we're going to talk about a little bit more closely today. And then lastly is study. Uh, this is a quote by Richard Foster. The mind will always take on the order that conforms to the order of whatever it concentrates upon. Did you get that? <laughs> the mind will always take on the order that conforms to the order of whatever it concentrates upon. So that whatever we're giving our concentration and our attention to is what our mind will be fashioned and formed and take on the order of. Guess what? We want our mind to take on the order of the word of God and the wisdom of God. We desperately need the word of God to conform our minds. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, um, he has this quote. This is, if you've been around here any period of time, you know this is my absolute favorite quote. I haven't found one that I love better in more than 25 years. <laughs> to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Scorned indeed by the too, easy, too easily satisfied religionist, but justified in the happy experience of the children of a burning heart. Do you hear that language? It's a paradox, right? And this is what I was saying to you earlier of those of us that despise and scorn discipline. Is the question is, well, if I have God and if I have salvation, why is there a need for pursuit? Can I say this to you? The closer you come to God, the more you desire him. So greater desire for God is not an indication of being afar off. Can I say something to you? Lack of desire for God is an indication for being afar off. If you study the, the, the greats of our faith from generation to generation, those that encountered the glory of God in greater measures had a greater appetite for the glory of God. They did not become self-satisfied and apathetic. They were people that burned for more encounter. Because guess what? We are created for encounter with God. And when we're talking about the disciplines, all we're doing is talk to, talking about cultivating a life that we might experience greater encounter with Christ. And so guess what? This morning, if you do not desire greater encounter with Christ, you can just disregard the disciplines. Just write those things off. Those aren't for you. You're good. But this morning, I'm going to say to you, if you desire greater encounter with Christ, I have an answer for you. And the answer for you is cultivate the disciplines of our faith. That you might cultivate the soil of your heart for greater encounter with Christ. <clears throat> our lack of discipline is a result of us being content or willing to live without the fire of God. Meaning, when we are content with a lack of spiritual discipline, that's us saying, I'm content living without God's fire. I'm willing to live without God's fire. But if we're a people that desire to abide and dwell in the fire of God, then we are a people that should have an appetite to grow in the disciplines of our faith. And so this is what we're going to do this morning. We are going to take a couple minutes specifically to look. This is in closing. Um, oh, I actually wanted to do this for those of you that um, just briefly. <clears throat> Some of you, when we touched upon study, I just want to give you a couple of tools that are helpful. Because I know oftentimes when we talk about studying God's word, people are kind of like, I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. Can I say something to you? I was probably like 16 years old when I actually began like studying the word. And back then... It was before, like, all of these gadgets and gadgets. Like, I had one of those big computers. <laughs> I mean, I'm dating myself right now. I'm in my 40s. But now, 
Can I tell you something? They have invented something called Blue Letter Bible. There you have it. If you've never, <laughs> if you've never been to Blue Letter Bible, you might want to do that. So if you're reading, let's just take John 15. Let's just say this week you decide to meditate on John 15. He promises that if you abide in me, I will abide in you. That's beautiful. That's a great promise. Guess what? You can go to Blue Letter Bible and punch in your little verse. Your verse comes up, and then you can actually read the Greek on what those words mean in the original language. Not only can you do that, there's a list of commentaries. And so you can go through and read when people, the, the theologians that have studied that passage of scripture, and then they've cross-referenced it. So there's like this whole world of the Bible that then opens up to you, and you can sit there and say, oh my goodness, I had no idea that this passage was related to this passage, or that this word abide is actually the same word that was used in this passage of scripture. That will take you on an exploration of study. But what I want to say to you is there's actually several tools that you can use. Um, Blue Letter Bible is a phenomenal tool. There's also BibleGateway.com. And then I just want to say this to you. I know some people just don't know where to start, right? It's kind of like you have this big book, and you just don't know where to begin, where to end, where to pick up, where to... There is a phenomenal app. Um, <laughs> I was actually talking to Daryl about this the other day. It's kind of what I use to dominate our house when Abram is wanting to play music and be chaotic. It's called Dwell. It's an app called Dwell. And so you can actually just have the word of God being read to you. And he has this beautiful, like, South African voice. And then you can choose what you want for your instrumental behind you. It's just so kind of, and it's so funny because, like, I'll just put on a book of the Bible, and it just goes reading through our house. And you can see Abram, like, instead of him being like, I want to listen to this, I want to watch this, I want to, like, all of a sudden you can see him, like, walking through the house, like, listening to the booming South African voice, like, kind of like, the little word of God getting in you. But can I say something to you? Even by doing that, you know what it causes? I know for me, as I'm about cooking and doing other things, I'll hear a passage of scripture, and I'll actually think, I really want to study that. Like, that's, it, it, it piques your interest in a way. And so that is a beautiful way to expose yourself on a more continual basis. Oh, this is lovely. Wow. <laughs> you are, you're amazing. <laughs> so there's the Dwell app. Okay, so for some of you, this is what I've used for my son. I believe they have two settings. I think you can take it off of the kids' setting. But I'm actually not opposed to adults using kids' tools to learn the Bible. I know some of you are like, do you know I'm a Harvard graduate? <laughs> I get it. But sometimes it's really good to stay simple. And <laughs> sometimes it's a good introduction or a good overview when we're starting something. So this is what I want to encourage you. There's actually something called the New um, City Catechism. It's the core doctrines of our Christian faith. And it's beautiful. It, it, are you guys familiar with the catechism? It does it in question and answer form. And then there's the passage of scripture that lays out the key doctrines of our faith. It's a wonderful tool that can take you on greater exploration. And the last one is Nicky Gumbel and his wife actually developed this one. It's the Bible in One Year. It's a Bible commentary app, but it's short. You'll, I guess if you Google Bible in One Year, but it's B-I-O-Y is the short version. B-I-O-Y. It's another app. Um, but it's the Bible in one year, which how fun is that? You can just pick your start date. You could start today. Bible in one year. <laughs> um, but it's a commentary app that um, Nikki Gumbel has developed. And so um, that's studying. And concerning fasting, this, before we go, I want you to turn to the book of Daniel. And this is what I want to say. Some of you have never been exposed to fasting before, and you're like, this is Debbie Downer, never come back to this church again. <laughs> hmm. Some of you are well-versed on fasting. You just don't practice it. And then there's those of us that we, we struggle. <laughs> That's me. I, <laughs> I will honestly tell you, I'm, I'm going to say there's so much grace right here in the room. Before my son, I could fast like a machine to the point that now I look back and I'm like, I don't think that was really fasting because it came so easily. Just fast like a machine. So if you haven't had babies yet and your blood sugar is normal and you have all your brain cells, take advantage of that. But once I had my child, I think it started with nursing, 
And then from there, it went from sleep deprivation. And now I'm just not sure what it is. I'm maybe just overweight. But, <laughs> but something in there, when I decide to fast, it's painful now. And so I'll warn my husband. He's fully aware beforehand. I'm just letting it. I actually warn my entire family. Like when I say my entire family, my parents live two blocks away. They're warned. I'm, I'm literally like, dad, do not bring cannolis to my house. Because I will be fasting. I understand you're supposed to do that in secret, but can I tell you, I have to warn everybody because it takes such a mental preparedness and just an absolute resolve that I am not going to eat a cannoli. Because <laughs> if you know me, I'm a health guru, but when it comes to like a really good pastry, I'm going to give in every time. <laughs> Don't tempt me with a Starburst or any kind of junky candy, but good pastry. You've won me over. So I warned the whole house. I actually say to my husband, if you come home with the Ben and Jerry's for yourself, do not come home with the Ben and Jerry's for me. I'm doing this. And then you really know I'm fasting because I get out the blender and I have like a grapefruit and all of the, the spinach and I'm like, I'm going to suck all of the fruits and vegetables down a straw for the next three days. <laughs> but can I say this to you? Fasting is not only in food, okay? We see the word of God speaks about fasting. Can I say this to you? This is the beautiful thing. Jesus said to his disciples, when you fast, so he's giving them instructions, like this is an ordinary thing to be a disciple. Ha! Huh? It's not actually something extraordinary or superhuman or supernatural. It's kind of the, the, the average discipline of being a disciple. He didn't say if you fast or if you become a faster or if you're part of a fasting community, he said, when you fast. So can I tell this to you this morning? If you're looking to build up and start to work the muscle to resist temptation, a really good way to work the muscle of resisting temptation is fasting. Do you want to know why? Because you're literally denying yourself pleasure. You're literally saying, I am going to rule over my appetites. My appetites will not rule over me. That's powerful. Guess what that's saying? That's saying, God, you are bigger than every other appetite that I have. There's some in the room here that you're like, oh, I don't really struggle with food. Well, guess what? You're addicted to Netflix. You just waste your life. You could literally have probably several master's degrees and be a theologian with the amount of time you've wasted on Netflix. There's the others of you that are like, ah, I don't do Netflix. I fast all entertainment. Well, guess what? Your Achilles heel is alcohol. You actually don't realize that you're dependent upon your alcohol. Try fasting your alcohol and seeing if you can learn to relax in the presence of the Holy Spirit instead of a glass of wine. Some of us are addicted to anger. Some of us are addicted to judgment. Some of us are addicted to complaining. I know those things, you're like, what are you talking about? No, I'm saying, I'm serious. <laughs> like, if you're addicted to complaining, say, I'm, for this week, I'm going to fast complaining. Not only will I not open my mouth if it's going to be a complaint against you or someone else, I will stop it in the place of my meditations. Get a hold of it in the place of your thought life and in your emotions. Guess what? You'll probably find more deliverance in fasting those things that have become vices to you. And the beautiful thing is when we do fast food, I don't know what it is, but food tenderizes us to recognize how much our flesh controls our lives and that we truly are not spirit-controlled beings. We're flesh-controlled beings. So we're going to close out here with um, the book of Daniel. <clears throat> and this is what I want you guys to see is the beauty of a life that is given to spiritual disciplines. The first chapter of the book of Daniel, uh, this is about the time that it gets hard for me to read, <laughs> between my contacts and the light. Let me just do this so I can. Um, first chapter of the book of Daniel Verse 8, for those of you that don't know, Daniel was brought into Babylonian captivity when he was about 17 years old. Book of Daniel, towards the end of it, we're talking Daniel is about 77, maybe 80 years old. The guy was in captivity a long time. The guy had every excuse 
not to practice his spiritual disciplines. The guy had every excuse to become apathetic and complacent and depressed. The guy had every excuse to have anger and resentment towards God because things weren't quite going his way and he didn't see God's hand of deliverance immediately. But yet what we find is when he's brought into captivity, it says in verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might deny himself. This is a fast. He won't have the delicacies, and he won't have the wine from the king. So basically, he's going to serve in the king's court, but he's going to live a radically different life than the culture of that kingdom. So for time's sake, we're going to skip over verse 9 through 14. I'm just going to let you know, they did like a little experiment. They pretty much said, okay, you can try that. And if you're looking really weak and pale and pitiful, we're going to make you eat. But if you still look strong, then you can do it your way. So then if we pick up in verse 16, thus the stewards took away their portion of the, because he passed the test, basically, they said, you look fine. Thus the stewards took away their portion of the delicacies and the wine that that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Here you go, Daniel, you get some vegetables. As for these four men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all vision and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, I'm going to stop there for time's sake. Now, I want you to skip to, let's see. Um, Let's skip to Daniel chapter 6. So, you guys see this was Daniel's posture when he was brought into captivity. Then what happens is he's made, he's elevated, and he's exalted pretty much because he has favor. He's made one of the three governors of the land. So because he's being exalted and elevated, the other people, uh, the other rulers basically conspire against him. And they pretty much say, we can't find any fault in Daniel, but he praised his God. So let's do this to conspire against Daniel. Let's go to the king and let's say that anyone that prays to any other God will have to go into the lion's den. So all of us know the story of the lion's den. We don't quite understand why did Daniel get thrown in there. But here's the extraordinary thing. The reason he gets thrown in there is because he fulfills his spiritual disciplines. And this is what's beautiful. In, in verse 10 it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was legal and signed, so he's basically saying, I understand that this is the law. I'm not to pray to any other god. He went home and, it, and in his upper room with his window open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Let's just all underline, circle, and highlight as was his custom since his early days. This was his custom. That literally means that every single day, this is what he did. But if we go further, and for time's sake, we can't look too closely here, but if you jump to chapter 9, you actually find Daniel fasting and praying again and making supplication. And then if you turn to Daniel chapter 10, you find him fasting again, and there's this like open heaven experience where he sees the angels and all of this encounter. And basically, the, the Lord speaks to Daniel that it's the appointed time and that Daniel is a part of seeing the release of the Israelites going back to Israel and being released from captivity. But can I say something to you? We're talking about a massive span of time of number one, a man that lived a fasted lifestyle and he lived in the disciplines of prayer. Do you see the fruit of a life that is given to the disciplines? Do you see the fruit of a man that stands in a wicked and perverse kingdom that is godless, but yet not only does he have the strength to stand and not be overcome by the culture that he's lived in, he's exalted with influence, and God exalts him in that place. There's an extraordinary strength that comes through a life that is consecrated to the presence and the purposes of God. And the only way that we can grow in the place of being consecrated to God's presence and God's purposes is by giving our lives in the place of spiritual disciplines. We see the beauty of this unfolded in the life of Daniel. We see the beauty of this unfolded in the life of Jesus himself, of the discipline of prayer and giving his life 
in a posture before God, although he had all the fullness of God. He still lived in the pursuit of continual encounter with his father. And so this is what I want to say as a community of young people. We can build a church that's largely built around excitement and enthusiasm and charismaticness, whatever that is. But can I say something to you? More than everybody gathering and feeling good and getting a, a good worship experience, which we always do get because we love God's presence here. Do you know more than anything, Daryl and I have a heart to see a church, specifically the bride of Christ, raised up and prepared for Christ Jesus. And what does that mean? It means a mature bride. It means a bride without spot or wrinkle. So that means that we want to be participants in preparing the bride of Christ for his return. And what does that mean? That means a bride that walks in mature partnership. That means instead of saying childlike, that yes, there's a free gift of salvation, you have been called to cultivate and to grow in greater maturity in Christ. That yes, you can still be a team player, just like I shared with you about Abram's little team, those that are the, the struggling ones that don't have discipline, that don't have focus, that are not giving themselves to the drills, they're just kind of showing up and wanting to play. You can stay like that. You will not wake up 30 years from now a mature believer just because you've believed in Christ for 30 years. Growth and maturity comes by cultivating. And cultivating comes by prayer, by fasting, by the study of the word, and meditating upon his word. And so I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the community of people that is gathered here in Cambridge. God, I thank you, Father, that you love us all the same. God, I thank you, Father, that this is not a question of salvation, that this is not a question of our posture or our position before you. I thank you, Father, that we're sons and daughters and we're greatly loved. But God, we come before you this morning, God, even as we have read in your word, God, that we can determine the soil of our hearts, Lord, that when your word falls upon our hearts, whether it's stony ground or whether it's along the wayside or whether there's thorns, but God, we say, Lord, that we want to be good soil. God, we want to be soil that is prepared for you. God, we want to be soil that your seed can take root in our lives. And God, we say we want to bear fruit that we might glorify our Father in heaven. And so, God, I ask, Lord, would you even give us, Lord, a vision to grow in greater strength and in greater maturity? God, would you give us a vision, Lord, to increase in the knowledge of Christ? And God, I thank you, Father, that, Lord, even as even relationships do not grow accidentally, God, we say, Lord, we want to be people that give intentionality and focus and discipline, Lord, to the most precious an esteemed relationship in our life, and that is you. So God, we want to give you the time and the attention, Lord, that you are worthy of. God, let our lives reflect and reveal your worth. In Jesus' name, amen.